Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series titled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike brings us a continuation of his study of Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, with a message titled Jesus and the Next Life. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff going on right now, and uh, I'm excited about the start of the fall. We've got life groups, this uh, uh, recruiting drive for the children's ministry. What an amazing ministry. You know, it's one of the passions of my life that Rocky Peak would be known in the coming days. Is if you want to know about children's ministry, if you have a ch- that's where you want to be. And so that just takes a, a kind of a new level of commitment higher than we've ever had, you know. And so if you're new here looking for a place to get plugged in and children's your, your, uh, your area, your passion, encourage you to, uh, to really jump in there because, uh, because I'm just passionate about this. The kids are our future, and uh, we, we just want to be connecting with them. I also want to give you just a quick, uh, uh, quick uh, kind of update on my voice. So many of you have uh, written cards and and emails, how are you doing? And uh, the bad news is I'm not really doing any better. There's been no change. And um, uh, I'm, I brought, I'm bringing it up today because on Monday I'm going to see the, the head of uh, head in, in the neck department at UCLA. Uh, supposed to be a, a great specialist. And so we're gonna, that's going to be the next step in this journey. And so uh, we talked about persistent prayer a few weeks ago. I just ask you to continue to pray. And especially on Monday that uh, you would give this, this man, uh, first of all, give me favor with him. Because you know how this when you go to doctors, sometimes it's like they're too busy for you. <laughs> and sometimes they're really, uh, can, you know, care. And, uh, and it just depends on their day or whatever. Just pray that God would give me favor with them. And and that, uh, that God would use him to kind of what's, what's going on with my uh, voice and, and throat. So, um, so I wanted to ask you to pray about that. Now, if you're a brand new here today, uh, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike, and inside of your weekend program is a white message note sheet, and we use that every week as we go through our time of teaching. And we're in the midst of a series right now called The Message and the Movement, which is a study of the most famous sermon ever given in the history of the world called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus laid out, here's my message, here's my movement, here's what it means to follow me. And so throughout this year, we've been going through this, studying the life and teaching of Jesus, and uh, we're going to continue that today. Today we'll be in Matthew chapter 7 in your Bible. So um, let me uh, pray, and then we'll <coughs> get started. Lord, we're excited to be here and take this next step of our journey with you, and we are looking forward to hearing from you. God, we just pray that you would, you would uh, give us uh, eyes that see, ears that hear, and that we'd be wide open to whatever you want to say to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it started, uh, it was the fall quarter of a brand new college year. He was a young prof. Um, he'd only been teaching there a few years. It was Christian college, and he was a Bible prof. And he was assigned that year to, uh, to teach 250 brand new green incoming freshmen in the Old Testament. And so he knew it would be a challenge because these were kids coming up from high school, and, and they're just getting used to the whole college thing. And so his first day of class, he introduces himself. He goes over the course syllabus with them very carefully, and he especially pays attention to the, um, the three papers that is required because he knows this would be the biggest challenge. So he goes over the class. He says, now, here's the way. There's going to be uh, papers. There are three papers for this class. The first one's to do the last class day of September. The second one's due the last class day of October. Third one's the last class day of November. Now, let me be perfectly clear. Uh, there are no excuses for this. That on that day, the paper is due. If you don't give me your paper due uh, in that day, 
um, then you will get an F. There's no extensions, no exceptions. If the only exception is it's going to have to be really good. Like if you're sick, you better be in the infirmary, you know. Uh, if there's a death, it better be immediate family, you know, because this, are we clear on that? And uh, yes, prof, we're clear on that. We're all clear. Good. So first month goes by, September goes by. Last day of class comes, of the 250 students, two, uh, 225 come in, they have their paper done. They're all proud. So they, they met the, 25 students come in without their paper, and they are nervous. This is their first, uh, first quarter of college. They're shaking the knees. He was so clear with them, and so they're, they're, just, they're just scared to death, and they, they plead their case, probably, would you please have mercy on me? You know, we... We just, we didn't budget our time well. We're still making the adjustment from high school to college. Please, could you just, you know, and so his heart goes out to him, and he says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you an extension. But, you know, next month, at the end of October, last day of class, we know, Prof, we, thank you so much. We will never do this again. We promise. So word gets out. So <laughs> end of October comes, last day of class, and uh, Students come into class, 250 students drapes in, and, and this time 50, not 25, but 50 don't have their papers. And they're a little bit more nonchalant about it. They're, they're not quite as nervous, still nervous, but they're not shaking their boots. And uh, they come in, but they do plead their case and say, Prof, you know, we're so sorry. Um, it's our fault. It was homecoming week this week. We've had midterms all week. Please have mercy. Can we just have one more chance? His heart goes out to him again, and, and so he says, okay, but this is absolutely the last time. Next month, it's your last papers due. It's last day of November, class day. If you're not here, if you don't have it here, it's automatic F. No whining, no excuses, no more extensions. Oh, prof, you're amazing. You're the best prof on campus. Thank you so much. So appreciative. Month goes by. Last day of class into November, 250 students traipse in. This time, 100 students don't have their papers. They're not even concerned about it. They just walk in. Hey, Prof, where's your papers? Oh, don't worry. Uh, don't sweat it. Um, we'll have them for you in a couple days. We're working on it. He reaches into his desk, and he pulls out this large black grade book. He puts it down in the center of his, his desk. Every eye in the classroom is on him. What's going to happen? Today we continue our series in the message and the movement. We're entering into chapter 7. We're in the last half of chapter 7. It's, it's the home stretch. Jesus is finishing the thing up. He's, he's been telling us for two chapters now what it means to be his follower, what it means to be part of his movement. And it's time for us to make a decision. It's time for us to decide who is this man? Is he who he claims to be? Are we going to follow? Or are we just going to walk away and say he is amazing and not do anything differently? And so he begins to bring the sermon to a close with a series of challenges, a series of warnings. He's going to talk to us in the next three weeks about there's only two gates in life. Which one are you going through? There's only two paths in life. Which, life, which one are you on? There are only two kinds of teachers in life, those that are true and those that are false. Which are you following? There are only two kinds of uh, builders in life, two kinds of foundations in life. What kind of foundation for your future are you building, one on the sand or one on the rock? There's only two kinds of followers in life. Those who listen are two kinds of listeners. Those who listen and follow and those who listen and don't follow. 
And so time after time, these next three weeks, he's going to come back and he's going to talk to us about choice and consequence. He's going to tell us that our eternal future, both in the future, both now, our life depends on the choices we make, that our destiny is at stake with what we do with him. That Jesus is presenting himself and say, what you do with me is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, and your eternal destiny depends on what you do with me. Let's take our Bibles, chapter 7, verse 13. Just two short verses, somewhat famous verses. <coughs> Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. So this is the first of his many metaphors he's going to be using. Jesus says in life there's only two doors. There's door number one and there's door number two. There's two gates. One is a narrow gate. It's, uh, it's more like the turnstile at a, at a sporting event. You know, it's, it's hard to go through. And once you go through this narrow gate, it leads to a narrow path. And because it's narrow, most people will not choose it. It's the least popular choice. But there's also door number two. Door number two is, is a, a wide gate. And when you go through this wide gate, it opens to a four-lane, you know, like a superhighway. Very wide, and because it's so wide, it's very popular. A lot of people choose it. Jesus says, but here's the trick. Here's the trick. This is one of those times in life you don't want to be following the crowd. Because the wide path, the super highway, it leads to a washed-out bridge that goes over a cliff. It leads to destruction. And it's really the narrow path you want to be on, the least popular path, because that is the path that leads to life, both in this life and the next life. And so he says, <coughs> verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, life as it's meant to be lived, life forever, and only a few We'll find it. It's the minority path, all right? Now, here's what we want to do today. As we've done throughout the series, every week, we've been starting with the Sermon on the Mount. We look, at, we look at the topic that Jesus raises and puts it on the table, and then we say, now, what else does Jesus teach his life and ministry about this topic? And today, the topic is the next life. So you see there on your note sheet, we're going to break this down into a couple sections today. The first section, we're going to talk about Jesus and the next life, uh, three assumptions and affirmations. So there's, there's kind of three um, assumptions or, or affirmations that Jesus makes about the next life in his ministry. Um, that there's kind of three basic truths that underlie everything he teaches about the next life. And so we want to look at those assumptions, affirmations. Uh, the second thing, though, is I want to get real practical at the end and come back and talk about um, kind of some four important uh, questions uh, that really help us to focus in on the practical implications of this teaching. Okay, here's what he says about the next life. What are the implications for the way we live our life right here and right now? And so let's jump in. The three, uh, three basic assumptions. Number one, the first assumption is that you and I, and this is an assumption Jesus makes in all his teaching. He assumes it, he affirms it. You and I will live forever. You and I will live forever. Now, of course, one of the most important questions the human race has ever asked, if not the most important question, is what happens to us when we die? Uh, there's, a, there's a story 
of the ancient India, like from India, Indian, ancient Indian epic, um, where the Mahabharati, the guru, is talking to his students, his pupils, his disciples, and he asks him, what is the greatest wonder in all the world? And one says this, one says this, and one says this. He says, no, 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 that's not it. The greatest wonder in all the world is that everyone looks around and sees everyone around them dying slowly, but they never think that they will die themselves. That we have a tremendous capacity as human beings for to denial when in the area of death. That every one of us that is sitting here within what? 50, 60, 70? Uh, with, with every one of us in this room is going to die. And that is the biggest problem of the human race. Think through your life right now. What is the biggest problem that you have right now? Can I tell you something? The biggest problem you have is not your biggest problem. The biggest problem is that we're all going, going to die. And so the most important question the human race has ever asked is, so what happens to a person when we die? Now, throughout history, there's different answers that have been given. The minority opinion throughout history, all times, all places, there's always been some who've said, when you die, that's it. You're done. We are physical beings, and when the physical being dies, we are done. There is nothing more beyond us. But that's by far been the minority opinion, whether it's modern or whether it's ancient. Um, The majority opinion throughout time has been that, no, as human beings, that there is a spiritual component to us that though we die physically, we spiritually go on in some ways. And so the Egyptians would build their, their pyramids for the pharaohs so that they would help them to transition to the, the next life. The uh, American Indians, they had the, the hunting grounds uh, concept. Uh, you think through the ancient Romans and uh, Greeks, and they would have their stories and legends about the river Styx and crossing the river Styx. If you saw the movie Gladiator, this was portrayed when, when Maximus, you know, Russell Crowe, when his family first dies, and then later in the film, Maximus dies. And you remember that beautiful, eerie scene where he floats across the, the, the wheat fields, and they're just very calm, kind of a beautiful moment. And it's, it was a picture of the ancient world understanding of the, 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 the travel to the next world. If you, if you were to be born in India, you may be brought up to believe that, that when a person dies, that we we will come back again in another form. Uh, we will be reincarnated depending on your, how you perform in this life. You'll come back in something else the next life. And so the vast majority opinion of the human race has always been, no, there's got to be more. That it doesn't make sense. It doesn't ring true. Instinctively, we've sensed there's something more. And the Bible says that's because God has wired us this way. In fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there on your note sheet, the writer in the Old Testament says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, there's a time and place for everything under the sun. But he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. He says, God has set eternity in our hearts. There's something about us as human beings that senses there's got to be more to life than this life. There's got to be something more. There's something that longs to be a part of it, to understand it. We can't understand it, but, but we long to understand it. What happens to me when I die? Where do I fit in? Where do I go? What happens to people? And so there's this longing. And so Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, okay, let me clarify this for you. 
He assumes and he affirms that you and I will live forever. In fact, what he basically teaches is that every human being who's ever lived is an eternal being. Now, I don't know if you've ever not that we had, a, we had a point where we started, so, so not saying that we always listed, I'm not saying that, but there's, that once God creates a person, that person will always be. There will never be a time for any person in the history of the world who once was and now not is. That once we are created, and this is huge to understand who we are as human beings, we are eternal beings. You will always be. I will always be. Everyone you've ever known will always be. Now where we will be, what we will be like, that will vary. But once a person started, there's never an end. Isn't that amazing? Stop and think about that. Okay? And so Jesus affirms that. Now, of course, he proves it or demonstrates it by his own resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, later on, 30 years after the resurrection, he looks back on the resurrection and reflects on its significance in human history. What does the resurrection mean in regards to human history? And I put this verse, this statement there on your note sheet. In 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1.10, he says, Christ Jesus has destroyed death, and catch this, he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Be- before Jesus came, even in the Old Testament, it was muddy. What happens when we die? But Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. We now know clearly from the life and the teaching of Jesus that you and I are eternal beings, that we will always exist. Once we start, we will never stop. And that is true for every human being who's ever lived. What the human race has always sensed intuitively, Jesus saying, is true. That there is life after death. In fact, this life is just the beginning of real life. Okay? Number two. The second thing, the second assumption that Jesus makes, the second affirmation he makes, it's huge, is that our choices count, that they determine our destiny. The choices count. They determine our destiny. In other words, that, that not only are we going to live forever, but that what happens in the next life is not random. It's not arbitrary. That what happens to us in the next life is based on the choices we make in this life. It's something he assumes and affirms throughout his ministry. That God has chosen us, according to Jesus, as choosing beings. That we are created as a race with the freedom of choice, but that with freedom of choice comes the reality of consequence. These things go together. Freedom of choice and the reality of consequence that we determine our destiny. Now, this concept of consequence is one that we're fast losing from our culture today. You see, we live in a culture today that affirms uh, choice. We're all about choice, the right to choice. In every situation, we resist anyone who will limit us in any way. What we say, what we do, what we think, what we, we act, right? We, we're a culture. It's all about choice and options, and yet we're a culture that's losing 
the reality of consequence. We're losing the ability to understand that, no, our choices really matter, and when we make bad choices, there are bad consequences, and that cannot be removed from the reality of life. If you want freedom of choice, you're going to have the reality of consequence. And we live, in, we live in a culture that's losing that concept. So, for example, a lot of you are employers, and you know how this works, or you, you work in a company, you know how this works, how over the last 30, 40 years, it's, been, it's getting increasingly hard to ever fire anybody. It doesn't matter how incompetent. It doesn't matter how irresponsible. It doesn't matter if they lied, if they cheated, if they... St- I mean, it's just really hard. You open yourself up to a tremendous lawsuit anytime you let someone go. Why? Because our culture is bought into it. It's almost like a God-given right for us to have choice but no consequence. You see this in the, uh, uh, the, the kind of the legal profession or the, the, uh, the law, in, in law, law enforcement, our whole justice system. How hard it is to convict someone, how hard it is to have any meaningful consequence, long-term consequence, for horrendous crimes. Someone can murder and kill and rape, and they're out in 10 years. Like, how, how does a culture go on like that? How can that even be in a deterrent? There's sort of this mentality in our culture that there always has to be a safety net. There always has to be another chance. There's always a mitigating reason why it was okay. If you work in the school system, you're a principal or, or you're a, uh, uh, a teacher, you know how hard it is to fail a student or to expel them, even for very serious things that happen. You see, we're a culture that we've lost the connection between choice and consequence. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 let me tell you something, your choices matter. They're going to determine your destiny. Um, Today, uh, we started with a story. It's a true story. The story of the prop, true story. It's a story that some of you have heard the name R.C. Sproul. He's a famous Christian writer, theologian, so on. And uh, R.C. tells a story, and it's his story. He was the young prof. And so in that class, here's what happens. So, right, he's, he's given them all this grace. He's been really clear on the requirements. We, we left them when they were right there in the classroom, and and, and he just put down the grade book. All, all eyes are on him. So what happens? So he puts down the grade book. And he starts to take the roll to see who has the papers. He's going down the line. Johnson, do you have your paper? No, prop, I don't. So sorry. Okay, F. Everyone's kind of sitting up. Muldaney, do you have your paper? No, prop, don't. F. About this time, there's a rumble in the class. You can begin to hear it starting at the back and moving forward. That's not fair. He can't do that. Who does he think he is? It's not right. It begins to roar. The rumble begins. One of the kids that was complaining the most, a student named Lavery, he gets to him, Lavery, don't you have a paper? No. F. That's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? You don't think it's fair? That's not fair. You can't do that. You, don't think, you want me to be fair? Yeah, I want you to be fair. So as I remember, you didn't turn in your paper last month either. That's, well, that's true. You want me to be fair? Yeah, I want you to be fair. Okay, then I'm going to change your grade last month to an F2. Because <laughs> that was our agreement. And if you want me to be fair, that would be the only fair thing. 
Oh, all of a sudden he realizes his mistake, starts retreating. I'm, I'm so sorry, Prob. No, that's fine. I'm happy with the one F. You know, it's, one's good. But you, know, you hear a story like that, and that's the story of our culture. That's the story of our culture. That anytime there's a serious consequence, we freak out. We think there should always be another chance. Doesn't matter how many chances, always be another chance. And Jesus comes along and says, No. Your choices matter. I'm going to give you freedom of choice, but you choose, and your choices matter. Now, this is what the Bible has been trying to teach us from the first page on. Think with me, the, the, uh, the Garden of Eden. There's two trees, tree of life and tree of death. Huge consequence. Uh, Moses stands before the nation of Israel before they go in the promised land. It's his last speech to them, and he says to them in Deuteronomy, he says, see, I set before you today life and death, blessing and prosperity, or blessing and curses. Choose today life that you may live. Choice and consequence. Hundreds of years later, the nation have chosen poorly. The prophet Jeremiah comes on. The, 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 uh, the superpower Babylon was moving in on them. He comes to the people. In fact, it's here in your note sheet, uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. And this is what, he says, this is what the Lord says. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not. There's two paths in life, Jeremiah says. There's the good way that leads to rest in life. There's the bad way. You're at a crossroads. There's only two ways. Choose wisely. They chose poorly. Tremendous consequence. Within 20 or 30 years, Babylon had come. They burned down the cities in Israel. They tore down the walls. They burned the temple. They brutalized the people. They led them in chains to a foreign nation where they lived in exile, never to return in power again. Choice and consequence. And Jesus stands in a long list, a long line of prophets and priests and kings and says there are your choice matters. Your eternal destiny is at stake. There are two paths. There are two gates. Choose wisely. Everything depends on your choice. I remember when my daughter, my oldest daughter, was turned 16, gone through driver's training, driver's ed. I remember standing in the driveway. She had just gotten her license. It was the first time she was ever going to drive by herself. We went out to solemnize the occasion. I stood out there in front of our Avalon. She got into it. We took the keys. I gave her the keys. And at that moment, my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> because I realized at that moment, I was giving her the keys to life and the keys to death. I, I was giving her the keys to her future. I was giving her a uh, keys to her freedom. I was giving her keys to a new life, but I also was placing in her, in her hands the power of death that for the first time in her life she would drive herself, would open her up to a whole new world, but it also opened her up to the choice if she was foolish that could kill her. And God has given to the human race a set of keys, and he has said, choose, choose wisely. There are two paths in life. 
One leads to death and destruction. One leads to life and freedom and fulfillment. Choose wisely. It's the second major teaching Jesus gives, his assumption about the next life. Number three, there's a third major teaching Jesus gives, his major assumption. There, and it goes like this, there really is a heaven and a hell. There really is. There really is a heaven. Now, you may not like this. I don't like it. If I could choose uh, things to remove from the teaching of Jesus, it would be high on my list. But over the years, I've learned to trust Jesus instead of me. He's been around a lot longer, a lot smarter. He's risen from the dead. I haven't. It's a whole list of reasons why he carries weight with me. And Jesus is crystal clear on this. In fact, in his teaching, he talks way more about hell than he does about heaven. Now, I wish it weren't true. I don't like it. That probably says something about me, not him. Probably just says I'm a child of my age. I'm still growing up. Maybe he's really clear on this. Now, in our day and age, very unpopular, uh, I'd say most people today believe in heaven, right? In fact, if you've ever been to a funeral, everyone believes in heaven. And uh, pretty much everyone's going there. I- I've never been to a funeral where someone says, you know Charlie, man, he was a liar, he's a thief, he's a cheat. We all hated him. I'm sure he's burning in hell. I mean, never, you know. Charlie is always in a better place, right? Always. Always. Doesn't matter. Now, there are a few people who in our culture do believe in hell, but if we do, we believe it's pretty much um, it's reserved for very um, high-risk criminals. Uh, Hitler, perhaps, uh, Mussolini, what might make it there, Stalin, uh, serial killers, but, um, but that's pretty much it. And along comes Jesus and says, no, i got to tell you about this. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And for all of you, it needs to be your number one priority in life. You don't end up there. It's not just for the, for the extreme cases. This needs to be our, our, our number one priority, that we end up in the right place and not the wrong place. And I teach us about this all the time. Um, in your, in your uh, summer studies homework, you have an example of this. You can just read through this. many, many examples. I just want to give you one example. It comes from Luke chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell a story. Jesus says, once upon a time, there was uh, a poor man, sort of a homeless man, and uh, we don't know what had happened to him, um, but we do know he'd fallen on hard times. He had this bad kind of disease. It was a skin disease. He had sores all over his body. Wasn't able to work. Wasn't able to take care of himself. So the only thing he could do is strategically position himself next to the gate of, the, of a home of a rich man's estate. And, uh, and just hope that every day when the trash is brought out, maybe there's some scraps from the table that would be brought out, depending on the generosity of others. And so uh, the rich man uh, that lived there, uh, he had grown up in a family with six boys, and uh, five of the boys still lived at home, but he'd moved out, done very well. He uh, was living the life of luxury, had a great house, nice place, gated community, uh, gated house. Uh, he had the, the nice designer clothes. He, he had uh, just life was going well for him, very happy. And uh, now, now he knew about the poor man because he passed him every day. He was at the gate. Um, he even knew the man's name. Maybe they chatted. He knew the man's name was Lazarus. But really had no significant interaction, never reached out in any way. So 
Anyway, it uh, turns out that uh, both the men die. Probably the homeless guy's on the street. He's, he's, he's cold, he's poor, he's, he's got sores, he has no health care. And, and so, you know, inevitable, he's going to die. And sure enough, he dies. And he goes to the next life. And, and then afterwards, the rich man at some point, he dies, and he goes to the next life. Now, it's really interesting because Jesus describes the study, uh, the story. Scholars, honestly, we don't know whether he was literally describing the next life or it was more of a figurative, you know. But if Jesus, if you know enough about his teaching now, when Jesus is describing figuratively, it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means that it's not, you know, literal, but it's, it's still real. And so he's describing the next life. And so he says, so what happens is in the next life, the, uh, the poor man, the Lazarus is his name, he's got it made. He's, he's well taken care of. He's hanging out with the celebrities. He's hanging out with like Abraham, father of the Jewish race. He's well taken care of. He is healthy. He's loving life. And uh, living large. And uh, the, the, uh, the other guy, uh, the rich man, the roles have been reversed. And he's in great pain. He's, he's in a place called hell. He's it's, there's like fire. He's burning. He, he's, he's, he's hot. He's, he's really uncomfortable, and he's in a lot of pain. And so he, he, there, and he can see across. There's this like huge gulf or chasm on one side between them, but he can look over and he can see. They can see each other. This big chasm like a valley, but they can actually see each other. And so he calls over to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, could you do me a favor? Could you send Lazarus over with just a, a drop of water for my tongue? I'm burning up over here. And Abraham's very kind, very considerate, but he says, you know, I can't do that because this is sort of the way it's supposed to be. I mean, in your life, you had it made, and, and Lazarus was suffering, now the roles, and that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. And on top of that, we can't really cross over. We can see you, but we can't cross over. And so he says, well, well if you can't come and help me, could you do me a favor? Could you send Lazarus back to planet Earth? And so could you tell my, I've got five brothers still living at home. Could you warn them to get their act together so they don't end up like here, like I am? And um, Abraham says something really profound. He says, you know what? He says, uh, actually, it wouldn't help. He says, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're Jewish boys. I mean, they've grown up with the word of God. Uh, they have the, old, the law. They have the prophets. And so they kind of, they know what God's looking for from their life. And if, if they're, he says, well, yeah, I know, I know that, I know that, but they're not paying attention to that. <laughs> what they need is someone, if someone comes back from the dead, I know that will catch their attention. We've got to warn these guys. We've got to let them know about the next life, the reality of the next life, this whole heaven and hell. We've got to let them know. And he says, look, he says, I promise you, if they don't listen to the light they have, if they don't respond to the word of God that they have, it's not going to make a difference. They're not going to respond even if someone comes back from the dead. Which, of course, is exactly what happened when Jesus came back from the dead and people throughout history have said, whatever. Next life, whatever. You see? So this is just one example of Jesus' clear teaching about hell, and it's throughout his teaching. Take your Bible, someone just going to read it through about the judgment that is coming, Okay? And so Jesus teaches. Now, to be honest, I don't understand why this is. But apparently there's something about the way the universe is. There's something about the way it is. If you have free, uh, if you have eternal beings, human beings, we're going to live forever. We've got to live somewhere, right? We're eternal. We're never going to die. We're never going to be annihilated. And, and there's something about our freedom of choice. So we can either choose God or choose to reject God. 
That's part of the equation. And then you've got God who by definition is the source of everything good in life. He's the source of all life and love and health and pleasure and relationships. It all comes, everything good in life comes from him. So there's something about that combination that when you as a free agent, moral agent, choose to reject the God that is the source of all goodness, there is no alternative left than to go to a place of all badness. The absence of everything good, which is what hell is all about. The famous scholar, Christian leader, probably one of the most famous Christian leaders of the last century, this man named John Stott, he writes in his commentary, I put this on your note sheet, on the Sermon on the Mount, he writes in this passage, he says, everything good will be destroyed in hell. Love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace, hope, and that forever. Now, of course, This is why Jesus came. You remember what Jesus said in John 3, I have not come to condemn the world. I have come to save the world. He has come on a rescue mission so no man, no woman will ever have to go to that place. That's why he came. Sometimes people will ask, it's a great question, well, what about those who never hear the message? It's a great question, but you know, the Bible never directly answers that question. In fact, Jesus was once asked the question, Jesus, you're teaching that only a few will find it. Does this, does this mean only a few will be saved? And his, his, his answer is classic. Classic Jesus. It's there on your note sheet. Someone asked him, Luke, Luke, Luke 13, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved and he said to them, he just kind of brushes off their question, doesn't answer it. He said, that's not important. Here's what you need to know. Make every effort to, in your own life to enter through the narrow door. I tell you, because I, many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you want to know, you're asking me what's going to happen to everyone else. My answer is it's none of your business. Here's what you need to be focused on. Are you on the narrow road or are you not? Jesus came. He told us about a God that's loving, a God that's fair, a God who loved the world so much he paid the highest price so the world will be saved. And it was very clear that if anyone's condemned, it's only because they have rejected the truth and the light about God. That's what he taught very clearly. And so he says, don't worry about everyone else. He says, what you need to be focused on in your life is yourself. Make sure you're on the narrow path. You know, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors and he talks a lot about, writes a lot about hell. And uh, in a couple of his books there, I put together this quote. I love this. He says, in the long run, the answer to all who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. He says, well, what are you asking God to do? Do you want him to wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering everyone miraculous help? <laughs> well, that's exactly what he's done. That's what he's done. What do you want? To forgive them? He says, but they will not be forgiven. They refuse to come to him to be forgiven. Well, you want him to leave him alone? Well, alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will 
be done. All that are in hell, choose it. If you reject a God who loves you and, and sent the most precious thing in his life to die for you, to save you, if you reject that God and say, I refuse to follow, I refuse, I will live my own life my own way, I want nothing to do with you, then God says, okay, there's nothing I can do. You're a free moral agent. Choice and consequence is real. And that is your choice, you see. So three basic assumptions. You and I live forever that our choice determines our destiny and that heaven and hell in the next life are real. Now, what are the implications for our life? I want to spend just a few minutes on this and, and ask four important questions that help us to see practical implications. If you're a follower of Jesus, what does this mean for you today, what we've studied? If you're not a follower of Jesus, what does it mean? Let's go through. Number one, the first question is, which world are you living for? This is one of the most important questions we have to ask as followers of Jesus, is that which world are you living for? Um, Jesus is very clear that this life is the preschool of eternity. This life is all about the next life. And what Jesus will teach throughout his ministry is because that is true, there's certain difficult choices that we will have to make at times. We will have to limit or endure tough things in this life at times, make sacrifices in order to prepare well for the next life. And so, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, he said, uh, if your right hand or your right eye is getting in your trouble, cut it off or pluck it out. Remember he said that? He said, because it's better to ha- go into the next life maimed than to have your whole body burn in hell. So what he's saying is, hey, whatever it takes, whatever the cost to follow me, whatever's in your way, whatever is sacrifice, don't let anything stop you. Because it's all about what's coming next. Later on in chapter 6, he says, let me talk to you about your finances. If you're, my, if you're a follower of mine, what, what, your, your resources belong to me. You need to be using those to invest in the kingdom. He said, because everything you have now is, is temporary, but everything you invest in my kingdom is going to last forever. Don't lay up your treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. See, it, it influences every part of our life. Later in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12, it's on your note sheet, Luke chapter 12, he says, um, he says, hey, when it comes to persecution, there's going to be people who hate you. You might have to give up your life for me. He says, but, he says, but don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and then they're done. Be afraid of those who can kill your body and then send, be, be afraid of the one who can, after your body is dead, can send your soul to hell. He says, let's keep some perspective here. That's why he said that if everyone who follows me has to be willing to give up their life for me. That's just part of the deal. It's just what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Take up your cross, follow me, you see? Because it's all about the next life. See, Jesus' life and teaching makes no sense apart from the next life. It's the reality that he said this is the way life is. You have to think that way. Uh, Frank Laubach, a famous spiritual leader, says, you and I, there in your notes, you and I shall soon blow away from our bodies. Money, praise, poverty, opposition, these make no difference, for they will all alike be forgotten in a thousand years. Jesus says, it's all about the next life. Number two, so which one are you living for? Number two. The second question (laughs) is, are you willing to pay the price? Jesus is a straight shooter. I love that about him. 
He doesn't mess around. He tells it like it is. He's very clear. If you follow me, there likely will be a price. It will not always be easy. He tells us here right in Matthew 7. He says there's a narrow road, there's a wide road. Very few pick the narrow road. And what that means is if you follow Jesus, you will have to pay a price. There will be times when you will lose friendships. There will be times when you lose a job. There may be a time someday when you have to lose your life, that there is a price to pay for following. Look what they did to him. If we follow, he says it's part of of the process. And so we live in a culture, as followers of Jesus, yes, we will be, if our culture continues on its current path, you and I, as followers of Jesus, will be increasingly politically incorrect. We will be increasingly narrow-minded. But Jesus says, don't see that as a negative, see it as a badge of courage, because there is a narrow way and a broad way. I'm calling you to be narrow-minded because the truth is narrow. How many right answers are there to the math problem? If you want to be wrong, there are a million ways to be wrong. If you want to be right, there is only one way. And it's my way, you see. Are you willing to pay that price? Jesus is calling us to follow him on the road less traveled. The narrow way. He's calling us to march to the beat of a different drummer. If we're serious about that as followers of Jesus and as a church here, it means we're going to have to rise up and be brave and strong and be courageous and say, no, this is right and this is wrong. And we need to be a light in a dark place. You see, are we willing to pay that price? Number three, the third question, have you started the journey? Now, This is a question for those of you who have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. Um, There's many of us here who have made that decision. We were once in the crowd. We heard the teaching of Jesus. We decided to move from the crowd into the kingdom. We're going to be followers of him. You made that decision at some point. A lot of us here have made that. But a lot of us here have not made that decision. We like Jesus. We like his teaching. But we're still in the crowd. We're still just curious in the crowd. We've not made the decision. And what Jesus says is there's only two roads in life. There's a narrow road and there is a a, a broad road. And if you're going to follow me, at some point you have to exit off the superhighway and you have to take the back road. Today, we're going to be going down to a beach baptism. Most of you will probably take the 101, either from the north or the south. It's a broad road. It's a wide path. On a day like today, traffic shouldn't be bad. It's an easy path. And then we're going to get off at Canaan Road. And it's a narrow road. And we're going to go towards the coast. And it's windy and it's narrow. And, and there's, many, there's few that find it. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to If you want to make it to the next life the right way, there comes a moment in your life you have to exit off the spiritual 101. You have to exit onto Canaan's road. You see, that's a decision. You got to switch lanes. You got to go to crossroads, like Jeremiah said. 
Then last night, Jesus was his, his disciples before he died. He said, man, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave planet Earth. I'm going to prepare a place for you for the next life. And uh, so someday we can be together forever. And uh, one of his men said, uh, well, hey, we don't even really know where you're going, Jesus. In fact, <laughs> what he's thinking is, half the time we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I don't, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, oh, that's easy, Thomas. I'm the way. See, the way to the next life, it's not a religious ritual. The way to the next life is not sort of religiosity. The way to the next life is a relationship with the man, (laughs) the God-man, the one man who stands between heaven and earth to reconcile them. He's the way. And if you know him, you're on your way. And if you don't know him, you're not on your way. You see, he is the narrow way. And so have you started that journey? Every one of us has to have a point in time where we exit the 101 and we get on Canaan's road. You know, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 5, if I put it there in your note sheet, famous statement, he says, I tell you the truth, not kidding you, whoever hears my words, my teaching, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Catch that. It doesn't say will have eternal life. He says you have it right now. In other words, you don't have to wait until you die to find out what happens next. Because if you make that transition from the 101 to Canaan, you're on the way already. He goes on, and he says, and that person will not be condemned. End of life. You don't have to wait to see whether you'll be condemned or made. You you can pass through that right now. You get a get-out-of-jail card free right now. Right now. You, You have that crime, and you're given amnesty right now for all crimes committed against the king. It says he has crossed over from death to life. That's something you have to wait for till then. You can do it right here, right now. In fact, you have to do it in the here and now. Now, this is a mistake that the rich man made. He waited too long to cross over from the highway to Canaan's road. He waited too long. And so what's the offer? The offer is that if you want to move from the crowd to the kingdom, Jesus, what does it take? You've got to hear my words. You've got to believe in him who sent me. You've got got to buy into who I I claim to be, and you have to believe. In the Bible sense, to believe means to follow. Trust me in this. It's not just like a mental agreement, like, yeah, good guy. No, I mean, I believe you. I'm, I'm buying in. I'm following. And Jesus says if he does that, we, he provides us amnesty for everything we've ever done. He'll, we'll cross over from death to life. His spirit comes in and brings us the life of eternity that we begin to experience now through his Holy Spirit. He changes us from the inside out, and he prepares a place in the next life. That's the offer. That's the offer. 
It comes to everyone who will lay down their arms of rebellion against the king of the universe and be reunited and be part of his new kingdom. Now, one last question. By the way, if you've never made that decision in about three minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity. So if you're here right now and you sense God speaking to you, calling to you, you know what I'm talking about. Don't be like the rich man who thought there would always be another day. Don't be like the rich man who looked around and saw everyone dying and thought he would be the exception. Number four, last question real quickly. Who needs to hear this message? Who needs to hear this message? Who in your life needs to hear this message? You know, the rich man in hell made two mistakes. One mistake was to ignore the message himself. The other mistake was to ignore passing the message on. Remember, he says to Abraham, could you send, could you send someone back to tell my brothers? I don't want them to come to this place. He waited too long to send that message. It's a message you can only send from planet Earth. You can't send it from the next life. So who in your life needs to hear? In their situation, the brothers knew. They'd heard the message. They just rejected it. But there's many in our lives, your life, who haven't heard the message. Who do you need to be praying for? Who do you need to be building relationship with? Who do you need to be loving? Who do you need to be ready and willing and able to just share your story, your simple story of what Jesus has done in your life and to share the story, simple story, of what the God of this universe did because he loved us so much that he would rather die than live without us. Let's pray together. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to talk to those of you here who are in the crowd. You know who you are. You know I love you. This is not about a condemnation thing. This is about an offer. The God of the universe who created you to be live forever is warning you that you will live forever and that you need to choose wisely. It's making an incredible offer to forgive everything you've ever done, to give you total amnesty, to bring his life into your life and to change you from the inside out to prepare an incredible eternity. He's making you an offer today. But every one of us has to come to a place in our life. We decide whether we're staying on the 101 or whether we're going on Canaan's road. And so I'm going to give you that offer right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And since I'm speaking for you, if, you, if this is a desire of your heart, just pray along with me in your mind and God will hear. And if you're sincere, you will cross over today from death to life. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I admit I've been stubborn and rebellious and lived for myself. I ask you to forgive me for that to send your spirit into my life, to change me from the inside out, and to save a place in forever 
for me. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you one more thing. In just a couple minutes, we'll be taking an offering and filling in our registration cards that are inside of your program. If you would just write me a note and say, Mike, I prayed the prayer. I'll know what you mean. And we'll, that'll set in motion a couple things. Number one, we will pray for you as a staff this week. And number two, I'll send you a letter with some helpful suggestions about next first steps in your journey. So sort of some directions for Canaan's Road now that you've made the exit. God, we, we pray now as a church that we would be a church that lives for the next life that we would run hard and fast on that narrow road, pursuing you in the path of life, which is a path of freedom, path of joy, path to abundance. We pray this in your name. Amen. And, and you realize that on that day, that we will remember this day. That we will know one another. We will recognize each other we'll see much clearer there than we see here. But we'll see each other. We'll understand each other. We'll remember this day. We'll remember this day at Rocky Peak. We talked about what Jesus said about that day. We will remember. We will reflect. And it will either be a day of great rejoicing or it will be a day we'll want to avert each other's eyes. Because God has given us this time, this slice of history, He's given us this time. He designed each one of us to be born this time in this place to influence our part of the world forever. He has called us here as a church to make a difference in the lives of hundreds and thousands of people forever. This is our calling. This day is all about that day. May we live well May we live with our eyes set high on eternity. May we breathe the air of that place. But what came, he came to teach us that this life is all about the next life. So live it well and live it deeply and love each other and make a difference and invest in what is right and what will last. Because this day is all about that day. May God bless you. As we continue this journey, we'll continue next week as we move towards the end of this amazing message. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.